Well, a couple of weeks ago, I began a new series, a series that I'm calling The Fruit of Transformation. Now, when we think about fruit, we typically think in terms of produce, apples and oranges, bananas and berries, kiwis and mangoes and lemons and limes, and peaches and pineapples and pears. We think in terms of that kind of fruit. But when I use the word fruit in connection with the word transformation, it speaks of the effect or it speaks of the outcome of something, the fruit of something, the effects of something, the outcome of something. Fruit speaks of the offspring. And that's why the word tells us that children are the offspring of a union between a man and his wife. And the Bible tells us the wife will be like a fruitful vine. It refers to her children as the fruit of the womb. You've heard of that before in the word. In other words, the fruit of transformation would be synonymous with saying things like the offspring of transformation or the effects of transformation, the outcome of transformation, or literally the fruit of transformation. Today, I'm going to add another message to this series, a message that I'm calling the fruit of unfailing love. And so what I want you to see through the message today is very simple. Nothing can separate us from the Father's unfailing love. Now, I said it in the first message, and I'll say it again. We all love the fruit of transformation. That's not the issue. The part that we have a challenge with is getting there. It's the journey to get there. That's the greatest challenge for many. You want to know why? It's because this journey can be a slow drip. It can be a slow drip. It's kind of like a coffee pot that's been plugged up from lime scale. It just drips slow. It takes forever. And it seems like that when you come into the gospel of grace, you love what you're hearing, you love what you're seeing, but you realize this transforming power that it has is a very slow drip. And God has designed it that way. He really has. It's a slow drip because it's not only dripping his heart into you, but it has to displace so many things that have been set up, so many strongholds, so many belief systems, so many ideologies, so much material that is already our defaults in our brains. All of us think the same way in that regard. On this journey to transformation, it can be a slow drip. And I want to be honest with you, it can be hard at times. It can be lonely at times. It can be costly at times. The journey to transformation requires perseverance. Just persevere as you're on this journey. Enjoy this journey that you're on. Don't try to rush to the finish line, friends. That will come one day for all of us. But enjoy the journey that we're on, but persevere on this journey. But what does man prefer? I'll tell you what man prefers. He prefers drive through He prefers microwave. He prefers convenient. He prefers easy. A man would prefer no cost, no commitment. That is man's natural default system. We like it easy. We don't like change. We like the results of change. Yes. Listen, I said it before. I would love to have muscles like Popeye. I really would. 
I just don't know if I want to sock 2,000 hours into a gymnasium to get those muscles. It's painful along that journey. It's costly along that journey. And I just don't know as though I like muscles that much, right? Valerie seems to be happy with me just the way I am. If you ever see me start working out, then you'll know that Valerie suddenly got unhappy with the way I was looking, right? So we like this no cost. We like this no commitment. We like this no challenge. But friends, that's a fairyland. That's a Disneyland. That's not a promised land. Transformation, listen to me carefully now, begins with a teachable and courageous heart. You see, if a person doesn't have the courage to embrace what they're hearing, to embrace what they're learning, then it will just become fleeting information. That's what it will become. Every time we listen to something in the church, for example, or the Word, wherever you're listening, we have this ability to embrace. We have this ability to reject. Sometimes we'll just take what we've heard and we'll set it up on a shelf. I do that all the time. Go, I don't know. Let me get back to that one right there. But I'm open-hearted. I'm teachable. I have a teachable heart, but it's just not where I'm at. So I have to put it on a shelf for a while. Maybe someday I'll get back to it. Maybe not. But transformation begins with a teachable heart. And you have to be courageous. You've got to take ownership. Character and courage are designed to be developed in the heart of a child. If things are not developed into the heart of a child when they're young, when they grow up, they'll probably have no use for it. There are daddies that maybe will do everything with their children on the weekends, take them fishing, play ball, and there's nothing wrong with those things. I've done those things too, but never put a word from the Lord inside of them. And the truth of the matter is, when those children grow up, they probably won't want much to do with the church won't want much to do with the Lord. And so character and courage, I believe, are developed in the heart of a growing child. But let that child get set in his way, get set in disregard and fear, and it will take an act of God, literally, to change him as a man. Transformation begins with a heart that is willing to wade out into deep waters. You can't always stay in the kiddie pool. You can't always play it safe. you got to take some risks, friends. That means in our minds and in our hearts, we must be willing to go places that old-time religion once said, under an old covenant mindset, you can't go there. We must be willing to say, I'm willing to go there. Father is leading me. Holy Spirit is leading me. And as we splash around in the heart of daddy's unfailing love, you know what happens? Things begin to fall off of you. We begin to abandon the old covenant ladder of performance that we used at one time. This was our feeble, this was our anemic, this was our half-hearted attempt to reach the heart of the Father. Friends, I want to say something to you this morning. Winning the approval Winning the heart of the Father, winning the acceptance of the Father, winning the unfailing love of the Father through our own performance is like eating sour grapes. It will set your teeth on edge. Trying to win the approval of Daddy, trying to win the heart of Papa is like a lukewarm bath, friends. It brings no comfort whatsoever. How will a man find comfort in such a thing? So what I'm getting at is we have to be courageous. We have to be teachable. And as we enter into territory, I'm talking about mindsets now, as we enter into territory that we have never dwelled before, territory that we have never been before, we have to go into it going, God has not given me the spirit of fear. 
but he's given me a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. It's helpful for us to walk around, not in that arrogance, but that confidence. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear. Don't be afraid, Timothy, but he's given you a spirit of power and of love. And he said, and of a sound mind. When people will look at you and think you have lost your mind, you've got to default back to what daddy says. He says, no, I've given you a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. And friends, that's what love does. Love releases power. Love releases a sound mind. You can't have a sound mind without love. You can't have power without love. You got dictatorship. You got manipulation. But you've got to go into the motive. So I love that when he said, God has given you the spirit of power and of a sound mind. And he sandwiched love right in the middle of it and just said, basically, it won't work without love. Friends, how many of you just eat a bread sandwich? That's it. Piece of bread, another piece of bread, bread sandwich. No, you put something in the middle of it, right? Love is sandwiched right between power and a sound mind. We must be courageous as we begin to taste fruit that we have never tasted before. I'm talking about the fruit of the finished work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, the gospel of his dear son, the gospel of peace. Friends, daddy's unfailing love is like the cluster of grapes that Joshua and Caleb brought back from the promised land. They were robust. They were abundant. And they were satisfying. Can you get that image in your head for a second? You see, they brought back more than just a cluster of grapes from the promised land. They brought back the fruit of the vine on a pole. And guess what? It was carried by two Men, since when do two men have to carry a cluster of grapes? It was the fruit of the vine on a pole, the Bible says, and it was carried by two men. The cluster of grapes hanging on a pole is symbolic of Christ and his cross. The fruit of the vine cut down, hanging on a pole. Do you see this? Do you see the imagery? And as much as I despise what the Romans did to my Jesus, there's something that I'm infatuated with about the cross. There's something that I love about the cross. I love this cross and I love this Christ. But apart from the vine and apart from the pole, there would be no promised land and there would be no salvation for humanity. May I remind us this morning that there were two men who carried the pole. I'm talking about the one that the fruit of the vine was crucified on. Jesus carried the pole, as you remember. He carried his cross until he just collapsed under the weight. And then along came a man named Simon from Cyrene, and he carried it, the balance of the journey. Jesus' name means salvation. Simon's name means to hear. We are to hear the report of the Lord and the report of the Lord is it is finished. Salvation has come once his, always his. Hear the salvation of the Lord. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, smitten of God and afflicted. Why? 
Why would Jesus do something like that? Because he loves us with the fruit of unfailing love. Isaiah would prophesy and publish his own report. It was about transformation. It was about how a tender plant would transform into great strength to withstand griefs and sorrows and afflictions. It was about how a tender plant would grow out of dry ground, yet offer living water to the entire world. It was about a tender plant that had no physical beauty, yet all mankind would be drawn to his loveliness. It was about a tender plant that would be chastised and wounded and bruised for our transgressions, yet would love us with unfailing love. How could someone be so mistreated, yet love us with unfailing love? We see Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Here's his words. I love how he begins. He said, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Do you see what he just got through saying? He is going to be so common looking. He's going to be so average looking that you would never know he's the one. But the moment he opens his mouth, the moment he opens his heart, the moment he opens his mind, you're going to be drawn to that loveliness. That's the loveliness. Friends, listen, loveliness goes beyond just skin deep, friends. Your skin deep beauty will fade, I guarantee it. You take any actress, you take any actor that's in their 90s, 100s, 110, whatever they are nowadays, they don't look the same as they looked on the screen when they were 25 and 30. Beauty is fleeting. It will fade. But the Bible says Jesus didn't have a beauty about him, not in the sense of a physical beauty. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Then he says, he is despised and rejected of men. Look at these words. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Get that in your heart this morning. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, doctrinally, we are healed. How? By his stripes. All the beauty from the inside of Christ. All the love and the power and the sound mind from Christ. That's how you get healed, friends. And then it finishes it by saying, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've got two words for you, friends. What love. It's not a question mark. It's just a statement. What love. Friends, until you are mistreated worse than Jesus was, don't you ever hold anybody hostage and not forgive them. Until you've dealt with what Jesus has dealt with, don't ever just write somebody off. Friends, you can't outgive God. You can't be overgracious. The scriptures tell us that not only did Joshua 
and Caleb bring back the fruit of the vine on a pole, but they also brought back a good report. Does it say that in the word? They brought back a good report. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of bad reports. I like good reports. I know we got to mix the good, the bad, and the ugly together at times. You need to turn off some of those bad reports and listen to the good news, the good news of the finished work of the cross. What was the good report that Joshua and Caleb brought back? The other 10 spies didn't have good reports. Well, we'll find this good report in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. Look at these words. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Don't you love that confidence? Where would you get confidence like that? Caleb and Joshua had a trust. They had a trust in the love of the unfailing God that was so ripened that even when they spied on the land filled with giants, they declared without hesitation, let us go up at once and take possession for we are all able to overcome it. Friends, isn't that what Paul was telling Timothy? Power, love, sound mind, confidence. This is the confidence that's working under these two men, even under an old covenant system. Under a new covenant, we have a much better covenant with God. And yes, we should be confident in the Lord. What were they saying when they said, let us go up and possess the land? They were saying, we are more than conquerors. They got beyond their petty stuff. We are more than conquerors. Caleb and Joshua brought back a good report of the land, but because those other 10 spies brought back a bad report, you know what happened? The people did not want to go into the promised land. In fact, it took them 37 more years to get in there. Friends, that's what fear will do for you. And that's what happens sometimes in the church today. She stays stuck because she is afraid. She's afraid to change the way she believes. What if I'm wrong, she thinks inside of her heart. Well, I've come by today to remind us that the Father has taken full custody of you. He has taken full responsibility. He has taken full possession of his children. Not a single grape will fall to the ground apart from the Father. Jesus said something similar to that in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. Here's what he said. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Isn't that a funny word? Farthing? What's a farthing? Come on, man. What's a farthing? A farthing, friends, is one quarter of a penny. And he said, you can buy two sparrows for a quarter of a penny. In fact, if you buy more at one time, you've got a better deal. Because there was one case where Jesus said, can't you buy five sparrows for two farthings? We're talking about a farthing. We're talking about you can get eight sparrows for a penny. And if you're getting a good deal, they're going to throw in two free sparrows. What were they doing with these sparrows? They were eating them, friends. They were buying them in the marketplace. And Jesus said, let me show you something. How insignificant. I mean, you can get two birds for roasting tonight and you can get them for a quarter of a penny. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Insignificant. But what does he say about those sparrows? He said, and not one of them shall fall on the ground or fall to your dinner table without your father. The father has his eyes on everything. 
Everything is important to him. Everything is significant to him. Aren't two sparrows sold for a farthing? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, is what he says. Friends, if we fall to the ground, the father falls with us. Wherever we go, there he is. He's on the inside of us. Wherever we go, the father's with us. He has promised that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We never need to fear the Nephilim of death nor the Goliath of separation, friends, in Christ. Listen to me carefully. Every giant has been defeated. Please get that in your heart. Underscore that in your heart this morning. Get you out some of that old rubber glue contact cement, they call it, and just cement that truth inside of your heart this morning that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that every giant has been defeated. Quit being afraid of giants. David wasn't afraid of giants. David was a giant slayer. And he's under an old covenant. We're under a new covenant. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, friends. The Father tends the vine, and you know what he does? He lifts up the vine so that the fruit, the offspring of the vine, can be ripened by his unfailing love. Friends, an experienced baker works with some tools, don't they? Uh -huh. They got little measuring spoons. They got measuring cups. And guess what? After they get experience with those instruments, they don't have to look at the little tag on them to see, now is this a third cup? Is this a half? They know! They're using this all the time. They're experienced with it. Why is it that we sometimes seem to forget? We seem to forget where daddy's brought us from. We seem to forget about his power and his love and his sound mind and his heart for us. We seem to forget that he's the gardener and he's taking care of his plants, his trees. We're like trees planted by rivers of living water. Bakers have also learned that they can trust. They can trust the accuracy of their measuring devices. If it's a cup on Monday, it will be a cup on Tuesday. If that cup holds a cup on Wednesday, it will hold a cup on Friday. That cup is going to be consistent, friends. Our Father is consistent. Our Father, the Word says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Listen, I don't change. My character doesn't change. Yes, the old covenant changed. It went to the new covenant. I get that part. But the heart of God, the character of God, the trustworthiness of God, the faithfulness of God, that never changes. He's always those things. Gets me excited. I am the Lord, I change not. Yes, our covenant may have changed, but our Father's love has never changed. His love was just as unfailing on the left side of the cross as it is on the right side of the cross, friends. His character never changes. Thank God for that, huh? Thank God that he doesn't wake up in a bad mood. Thank God that he doesn't just have a rewind button. He just expunges. Like Valerie was talking about, he has expunged our sins. They're not just covered, they've been taken away. Expunged, wiped out, removed, deleted. Whatever adjective you want to use there, they're gone. Completely gone. On June 3rd of 1987, I went to my first Cubs game. Oh, I had been a Cubby fan ever since I'd been a little boy. And that was my first game at Wrigley Field, and I sat out and left bleachers. That day, the Chicago Cubs beat the Houston Astros 22-7. to What a game. A thriller of a game. Three grand slams hit that day. 
one hit right to me. I mean, all I had to do was just stand up and go like this. Hit right to me. I have not seen that video since 1987. And I did a search last week on YouTube to see, could it still be out there? And yes, that video was still there. And guess what? The same guy that hit the Grand Slam hit it again. And the same man, which was me, had the ball come right to him again. It had not changed. Now, you've had plenty of opportunity. It's been 34 years. You could have changed some things. You could have photoshopped some things in. No, you cannot change things like that. Why can't we see that the Father's heart does not change for us? He always loves us. He's always tending to us. He's a gardener. Horticulturist, they call him. He's always looking at his plants, knowing what they need. A good horticulturist will know that. They'll go buy plants and they'll go, there's something wrong with you, you're a little sick. I know what you need. You need some water. You need some fertilizer, whatever it may be. The Father knows what we need. Why? He made us. He's the creator of us. We're made in his likeness. We're made in his image. He knows us intricately. He loves us. So every time I minister, whether it's here or there, I want to publish a good report. I want to remind people about the robust, abundant, satisfying, and unfailing love of the Father. And that love has been trellised from the true vine, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is that true vine, and the Father is the gardener. The Father is the farmer, in a sense. And guess what? Our Father lifts up every branch that is in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are His, and because He has taken possession of us. Simon of Cyrene, in a sense, represented humanity in that he would touch the cross of Christ. Friends, doesn't the scriptures tell us that we were crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Think about that. We were crucified with Christ. We touched his cross in the spiritual realm. His body on the cross became our body on the cross. We were inside of Christ when he was crucified. And everything about him and everything that he has is ours. It's yours and mine. It belongs to everybody who will come and feast on him and receive him by grace through faith. Friends, there wasn't just one grape on Joshua and Caleb's pole. There were many. There were many. This is a picture of humanity and all of those that would come to Christ this cluster of grapes it's not just Christ alone it's everybody that would come to Christ on the same pole on the same cross we were crucified with Christ get it in your heart this morning nevertheless we live we're not dead anymore we live oh but then he says yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh he said I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that beautiful? We are connected to that true vine by grace through faith. Because we are his offspring, Papa lifts up and cares for his tender fruit with unfailing devotion and love. Now we see this truth in John chapter 15. Verses 1 through 3, I'm going to first of all show it to you in the Passion Translation. 
Simple language. Here's Jesus' words. He said, I am, it shouldn't say a, it should say the, but I am a true sprouting vine and the farmer who tends the vine is my daddy. He's my papa. It's my father. I'm the true vine and the farmer, the gardener, the husbandman who tends the vine who tends to me is my daddy. It's my father. And look what he says. He cares for the branches connected to me. Do you see that? It goes beyond just Jesus. He cares for not just the vine, but he cares for the branches. He cares for the fruit. See, if you have a healthy vine, you'll have healthy fruit. The Bible says a bad tree cannot give good fruit and a good tree cannot give bad fruit. It's all about the vine. And Jesus says, I am the vine, it's a sprouting vine, speaking that it's alive, it's living, it's taking ground, it's taking root. It's a sprouting vine. My father tends the vine. He said he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. And then he says something very strange that doesn't seem like it fits with what he had just said. He said, the words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. We'll visit that in a second. Now, these scriptures right here is where you'll have people that will want to pick a fight with you as grace ministers. Because let's look at it, what it says in the King James Version. Next one. Jesus said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. I don't like the sounds of that, do you? He taketh away that branch. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. I don't like that word either. I don't want to think about being purged. Purge was just not a good word when I worked for certain companies. When you had to purge stuff, that means you made some mistakes. That means it was costly. And he says, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So what many ministers will do is they'll take these three verses and they'll use them to say, look, if you're a branch in Christ, and you don't bear fruit, he's going to take it away. He's going to cut the branch away. And it makes it look like it's a condition for salvation. And that's why people fear these kind of verses, because now, what does it mean I have to be fruitful? Do I knock on more doors? Do I read my Bible more? What is it that I have to do? And we find ourselves falling into this mentality that I must have to do something because I'm not bearing fruit, and I need to bear fruit. Well, how would you know if you're bearing enough? How would you ever know when you got to the point that you're bearing enough fruit? You wouldn't. He said, he that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And that word taketh away just simply means he lifts it up. It's a bad translation, to be honest with you, to taketh away, because our English minds would just think, man, he's just lopped it off. No, he's not lopped it off. He's lifted it up, friends. This is the gardener. This is our father. This is Christ's heart. He's saying, look. He said, I see you're dragging on the ground. This is not how I've called you to live. Grapevines don't do well on the ground, friend. They need to be lifted up. They need to be tied. They need to be trellised. They need seven to eight hours of sunlight every single day if they're going to ripen and be good plants. All Jesus is saying here is, look, you're dragging on the ground. 
You're tired, worn out, burned out in religion. You're weary and well-doing. And he said, I've got a plan for you. My daddy's going to come along and he's going to lift you up and he's going to tie you to me. He's going to tie you to the trellis of my love. So it's not so scary anymore, is it? Not scary at all. And then he says, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. What in the world is that supposed to mean? If it's bearing fruit, it's doing okay, right? So why would you want to purge it? Again, not a good translation in the King James. It literally means cleanses it. Friends, look it up in your concords one time. Every branch that's bearing fruit, he cleanses it. Friends, there are so many things that get stuck to our hearts, get stuck to our minds, get stuck to our mentality. And he just keeps cleansing. He says, look, I know you're bearing fruit. I know you love me. I know you have the revelation of my grace for you. I know you have the revelation of my mercy and love for you. I get all that. You know, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Not in me, but with me. Peter didn't lack salvation. Peter just lacked being cleansed in his mind. And then Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said, if you've had a bath, in other words, he says, if you've been cleansed, Peter, you only need to wash your feet. You don't need a complete bath anymore. This is what he's talking about when it comes to salvation. We've had a complete bath at salvation. The old man has been crucified with Christ. Remember, he hung on the pole like a cluster of grapes with Christ. We've been totally cleansed by Christ. But there are going to be things that come along and get in our mind. And Jesus just says, look, I see you're bearing fruit. You're mine. You belong to my father. And all we're going to do is cleanse the way you think about things. This is not forgiveness of sins, friend. And then he goes on to say so that they would really get it. He says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now he said, look, in case you missed it, I've been trying to tell you you're clean by the word. Who's the word? The word is Christ. You are clean by the word I've spoken to you. It's so beautiful. What a picture. What a robust picture of God's heart, daddy's heart for mankind. My journey to discover the fruit of the father's unfailing love, I want to be honest with you, began because there were some incongruencies in my heart. In the depths of my heart, I knew that daddy's love was an unfailing love. Yet I would hear ministers attach things to daddy's unfailing love. I would hear things like a man could get himself in a predicament, could get himself in a place, get himself in a spot where he could be separated somehow from daddy's love. And that was an incongruency in my heart. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit led me into a 10-year marination. For 10 years, I was just marinating in the Lord. And it was during that time that he was taking that slow drip and flushing it out. And friends, it was costly at times because I would have friends come up to me and say, Mark, there are more things to minister about than God's love. And I look at them and say, like what? And the man said to me one day, well, I don't know. And I looked at him and said, neither do I. If you run out of things to talk about with daddy's love and daddy's grace, friends, there's something wrong. <laughs> I told you, it's robust. It's abundant. It's satisfying. Nothing will satisfy like Papa's love. The revelation of his heart and the way he loves you, nothing will satisfy like daddy's grace. Nothing that I've ever seen. 
David had a teachable heart. There's no question about that. David failed at times, yes, but he had a teachable heart. He learned from things. He was the one who wrote, Thy word have I hidden in my heart. He knew the power of daddy's word. He knew the power of the father's word. And he said, this is going to be my helper. He didn't have the Holy Spirit the way we have the Holy Spirit. He had the word, which is good, right? And he said, thy word. He said, I've hidden it in my heart. I sing it. I write about it. I meditate on it both day and night. It's a lamp under my feet, a light under my path. He said, I'm always thinking about Papa's word. When I walk along with the sheep, I'm thinking about Daddy's word. When they lay down, I'm thinking about Papa's word. And he said, thy word, I've hidden it in my heart. I love that. Listen to me carefully here now. I want to say something here. A teachable heart is best defined as a seeker of truth, not of affirmation. You see, there are people, people groups, if you will, that want everyone to agree with their twisted narratives. If you don't agree with them, you know what they do? They pull the cancel culture card on you. Friends, that's not love. These people are not seekers of truth. They are seekers of affirmation and power. But Jesus didn't say that it was affirmation and power that sets a man free. He declared it was truth. He said it's truth that sets you free. I'm talking about the truth that has been made available to us through the fruit of his unfailing love. That unfailing love is the love of Christ. We see what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32. Here it comes. Here's what Jesus said. He said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Friends, the truth is that God loves us with an unconditional and unfailing love. We never walk this journey alone. He provides respite. He provides comfort. He provides provision. He provides shade along our journey. We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we are being transformed by beholding his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the natural preference for man is for you to agree with him and not attempt to persuade him to think differently about something. People don't like that. We see that in the political realm. We see that in the church. Once they've set their ways and got set in their ways, it's volatile. It can be volatile. They don't like you even talking to them. They don't. Why? Because they immediately assume that the journey to transformation is going to be long. It's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. It's going to be inconvenient. And some or all of that may be true, but what's the alternative? To live in a false narrative? To not love others the way Jesus loves? To never truly taste of the unfailing love of God? That's your alternative without change. Transformation bears fruit in the lives of them that have a willingness to change. There's where you see the fruit show up. There's where you see the growth show up. When they have a willingness to change. And in the ones who are willing to embrace 
grace and truth at all costs. Friends, that's where I feel like I'm at today. Listen, at any cost, at any cost, I'm not changing this gospel. There is no salvation in the other gospel. There is no hope. There's no help. There's no respite in any other gospel than the gospel of His triumphant grace. Did you know that up till about 10 years ago, now I'm 60 years old, right? So that would have made me around 50. But up till about 10 years ago, I thought that a tomato was a vegetable. How many of you have felt that same way? I mean, it goes into a salad. Salad is just full of chopped vegetables. I thought a tomato was a vegetable. And I'll tell you, be honest with you, I was a little put out when I learned that it was a fruit. I don't know who it was that told me, and I thought, what? What are you talking about? Tomato's not a fruit. It grows on a vine. That's a, that's a vegetable. <laughs> a lot of people think that a tomato is a vegetable. And so when I learned that it was a fruit, to be honest with you, I was a little bewildered. Now, I don't know what rock I'd been hiding under for 50 years. I don't know what cave I must have been shut up in for 50 years, friends, but I had a choice to make. I could exercise a teachable heart and embrace truth. And in light of the new revelation, I just simply chose to change my view and opinion of something as simple as a tomato. But people are stubborn. They don't like change. They resist change. Now, if we're talking about something so simple, they would just go, oh, what's the big deal? I'll just call it what I want to call it. Yeah, okay, you can do that. That's fine. But when you see, when it comes to spiritual things, you understand now why there's such a tug of war. I couldn't possibly have believed wrong for this many years. I sat on the front row at the church. The preacher spit on me every time he was preaching. I touched his sweaty hanky one time. You see the picture? I grew up in the Pentecostal church. We were used to this kind of stuff, friends. My grandmother went there. She was a pastor at one time. My mother went there. I went there. I took my kids there. Friends, you've got to be willing in your heart to change and to embrace grace and truth. And we are so stuffed full of stuff. I'm telling you, we're so stuffed full of nonsense. It, it's not even funny, man. It, we, we really are. And I became even more bewildered as my revelation of truth began to transform my heart concerning the unconditional and unfailing love of the Father. I'm telling you, that drip started 10, 12 years ago. And at first, I'm like, oh, man. This is not what I've heard over the years. In other words, I did hear that, but there were always disclaimers attached to it. It was kind of like, I love you, but... You hear the disclaimer? <laughs> How could I have not known? How could I have not known about my daddy's love? I'll tell you how. Because I was programmed and I was blinded in a sense. I wouldn't look any other way and everything that filtered through my mind had to filter through the uh, thesaurus that was already built into my heart. And it always came out the same way. Too many people continue to reach back into their past in an attempt to find their identity. 
never realizing that their past is often littered with erroneous beliefs. You see, friends, no one likes to go down a road and find out that it's a dead end when you get down to the, especially if you've driven miles down that road, and all of a sudden you reach the end and it says, dead end. Well, friends, you only have two choices to make. You can just stay stuck or you can change your mind and turn around. It's just that simple. And I felt stuck at one time. I said, Daddy, I'm not seeing your unfailing love. I'm not hearing about your unfailing love the way preachers should be preaching about this love. Daddy, I feel stuck. And he said, Son, how about if we turn you around? It's okay. Remember, I'm the gardener. I know what you need, son. You need to be watered with my unconditional grace. You need to be watered with my unconditional and my unfailing love. Oh, I've wanted to do this for some time. Maybe one of these days I'm going to do it. I wanted to buy a half a dozen plants, all the same exact plant, all the same exact height. And one, I'm going to use milk to water it. And another one, I'm going to use Coca-Cola. And one, I'm going to use coffee. And one, I'm going to use tea. And one, I'm going to use water. And I just want to see what happens over the course of a, a period of time. Well, friends, plants aren't designed to drink Coca-Cola. They're designed to drink water. I don't know how long that thing will tolerate that before it just kind of wilts over. It's going to need someone to come along and lift up its branch. Do you see that picture? And we're designed. We're designed by the Father. Remember, we're made in His likeness and image. We're designed to receive His unfailing love, the revelation of His unlimited love. That's how we're designed. But man comes along and puts stuff on that. Disclaimers on that. A lifetime of programming is the culprit that is responsible for the way we see everything, including God and our own identity. It's just a lifetime of programming. It was little by little by little, and it finally brought you to the point that this is how you feel about this. A lifetime of programming. It starts as a child. If we want to change, then we must be willing to embrace truth at all costs. Let me ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to think about this. I'm not looking for you to blurt out answers in church here today, but I want you to go home and I want you to think about this. How would you explain the unconditional and unfailing love of God? How would you do that? If someone came up to you and said, can you explain to me the unfailing love of God? How would you explain that? Would your explanation be filled with complex conditions? Would you reduce the unfailing love of God down to some sort of mathematic equation, some sort of mathematic formula? If this equals this, then this must be true. That's too complicated. How would you explain the unfailing love of God? Do you know what double talk is? It's a language that appears to be earnest and sincere. It appears to be meaningful almost. But in fact, it is a mixture of sense and nonsense. That's double talk. Friends, that perfectly explains why there are so many different denominations and persuasions. The church has mixed Old Covenant with New Covenant, nonsense with sense. Kind of where we're stuck today. 
When asked to define the unconditional and unfailing love of God, many believers fall into double talk, nonsense and sense. They will toss around conditional conjunctions like if, unless, until, when, but. Friends, that is absolute nonsense and double talk. God will love me when. God will love me if. God will love me until. God will love me but. God will love me unless. Double talk. And in a fruitless attempt, they will search their inner Wikipedia of doctrine and definitions. And then like an insurance policy, they will attach exceptions and limitations, exclusions and prorations. They will attach things like deductibles and expiration dates on God's unfathomable, limitless, un changeable love, unconditional love. Can you imagine attaching an expiration date to the precious, unconditional, and unfailing love of God? There's no expiration date. Let me ask you another question. What good would your health insurance policy be if all it covered was the bite of an elephant? You got your Ginsu knife out, you're slicing and dicing tomatoes. You know those fruits? I was going to say vegetable, didn't you? Those fruits, you're slicing and dicing, sliced your finger, and now you need stitches. You go to the hospital, and the hospital says, let me see your insurance card. You show them, they say, listen, I'm sorry, but we can't cover this under your insurance. Why is that? Well, because your insurance only covers elephant bites. <laughs> Friends, that would be a worthless insurance plan. Don't you agree? That would be a worthless insurance plan. Let me ask you another question. What good would the plan of salvation be if it were not held together by the unfailing love of God? Well, it would be as worthless as an insurance plan that only covers elephant bites. It would be just as worthless because you're not going to stay faithful all the time. You're going to break some things. You're going to break yourself. You're going to break your mind at times. You're going to stumble and fall. The Bible says in James, we all stumble in many ways. So what? Your sins have been taken away. You have been fully and totally redeemed and forgiven. Friends, the Father's love for us, you'll be happy to know, is comprehensive. That means it's all-inclusive. That sounds like a lot better plan, doesn't it? Daddy's love for us gives us complete coverage, no deductibles. Jesus paid it all. We are the beneficiaries, the offspring, the effect, the outcome, the fruit of his unfailing love. I want you to see these scriptures in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Some of my favorite scriptures. Oh, I love these. The Apostle Paul asks that proverbial question, Who? shall separate us from the love of Christ. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about unfailing love. And he asked the question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Come on, what do you do with a question like that? You don't even answer it. You just meditate on it. You just ruminate on it. What? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, shall trouble separate you from the love of Christ. Would you just slip up your hand if you've ever had trouble in your life? Come on. Come on. Let me ask you a question. Did it separate you from the love of Christ? 
It didn't separate you from the love of Christ. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He said, trouble can't do it. Let's just go ahead and get that right off the checklist. And then he asks, he says, how about hardship? How many of you have had hardship in your life? Oh, come on. I've had hardship. Oh, I could talk for days about all the hardship I've experienced, but why would I want to do that when I've got the unfailing love of God to meditate on and talk about? We've had hardship. Did hardship separate us from the love of Christ? No. How many of you have been persecuted? <laughs> Come on. Oh, man, I've been persecuted. And it will happen again, friends. But guess what? Persecution didn't separate me from the love of Christ. No. And then he says, how about famine? Well, you say, Mark, I don't know if I can say that I've ever had experienced famine. Well, you haven't lived in the 1960s in the mountains of Virginia where I lived because you would have known some famine back in those mountains, friends. But listen, that is meaningless compared to the people on the other side of the globe that will be listening on this message. People that live in the bushes in Kenya and Sudan and other places that know famine, but yet they're very spiritual people. And they've come to the realization that famine cannot separate me from the love of Christ. Can't do it. How about nakedness? Friends, I'm not talking about the absence of clothing. You know what? You can go through a bankruptcy and guess what? A nakedness just speaks of something that's been stripped away. Friends, your integrity has been stripped away. Your goods have been stripped away. Your bank account has been made naked. Friends, we've experienced nakedness. But did it separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. How about danger? You ever found yourself in a dangerous situation? Of course you have. Did that separate you from the love of Christ? Not at all. And then he says, finally, the very last one, he says, sword. He's not talking about the show and tell sword. He's talking about the one that takes heads off, friends. He said, not even the sword can separate you from the love of Christ. And many of the apostles experienced the sword. Many people have been martyred for their faith. Why? Because like Joshua and Caleb, they knew about this robust love of God. They knew about his faithfulness. And they were basically saying, I'm willing to lay my head on a chopping block because that sword cannot separate me from the love of Christ. Isn't this powerful when you think about this? It's a good question to ask. And then he starts filling it in saying, this can't happen. This, even if this happens, it cannot separate you from the love of Christ. And then he says, as it is written. So we know right there when he uses those words, he's referencing another place in the Bible. He's talking about some other place that's written because he says, as it is written, he says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, I love this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Started out with what can separate us from the love of God and he just closed his thoughts right there by saying, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. How did he love us? He loves us with an unfailing love. Get that in your heart today. He loves us with an unfailing love. The apostle Paul says, we are more than conquerors. That's an interesting statement more than conquerors. First of all, there's a difference between a winner and a conqueror. 
You see, if two basketball teams are set to play each other and one basketball team doesn't show up, the other team will win by default. Now let me ask you a question. Are they winners? Yes. Did they conquer their opponent? No. But Paul said here, you're not just winners. Winners can be winners by default. You are not even just conquerors. He said you're more than conquerors. What a robust mindset. What a robust attitude to have that I'm not just a winner. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I love the thought of that. When Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just win over the enemy. He was more than a conqueror. Jesus' enemies of death, hell, and the grave presented themselves and Jesus conquered them all. They were present with Him. He didn't win anything by default. He went to the cross and He defeated death, hell, and the grave on the cross. He defeated your sin problem on the cross. Beautiful. It's called the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we'd have no hope. It's what makes Christianity different from all other religions. His resurrection was comprehensive. It was all-inclusive. He died for all. The Bible says, and that He died for all, that they which live should henceforth no longer live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. He died for all, comprehensive, all-inclusive. We must come to Him, accept His grace by faith, Yes, he died for all friends, comprehensive, all-inclusive. There are no deductibles. There are no co-insurance limits. There are no expirations. Only faith in his finished work on the cross. Friends, because of the fruit of his unfailing love, we are co-heirs and co-conquerors with Christ. Co-heirs and co-conquerors with Christ. The next scriptures. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul, he continues. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, that's quite a contrast. He said, look, if you were to die today, that cannot separate you from the love of Christ. He said, if you could live just for an eon, he said, there's no way to get yourself in trouble along that journey. So much trouble that you are not still loved by the Father. It's separated from his love. It's not possible. He said death can't do it. He said life can't do it. He said angels can't even do it. Now angels seem to have a lot of power, don't they? They show up when you least expect them. You know, they seem to have, they're mysterious beings. They, they seem to have some power. But he said angels can't do it. I love this next one. He said demons can't do it. Quit being afraid of demons. Demons are nothing. They are foul spirits. They are imps. That's all they are. If you could open up your eyes and see them, they are little bitty things. They're just putrid little things. They are nothing. They're like bugs. Just squash them. He said, angels can't separate you from the love of Christ. Demons can't separate you from the love of Christ. And then he says, neither the present nor the future. There's nothing in your present that can separate you from the love of Christ. And there's nothing in the future that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. Quit worrying about getting to some judgment seat of Christ someday and then going, oh man, turns out I'm a goat. He, he separated me. No, he said, listen, your future cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Can't happen. 
He said, nor any powers. We got principalities, we've got powers, we got wickedness in high places. Friends, he said, none of those powers can separate you from the love of Christ. Neither height nor depth. I know we've got a, some apparatus on Mars right now running around taking selfies and doing all kinds of things. He's basically saying, I don't care how high you go out into the solar system. He said, no matter what height you go to, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. I don't care if you dig your way to the center of the earth, friends. He said, you cannot get yourself in a depth that is so deep that you're separated from the love of God. Why don't we take these words and go, wow, he's talking to me. And then he gets a little tired. He's got to move along. He's got places to preach. He could make this list very, very long. He could talk to midnight like he did the one time and have people fall out the window. But no, he says, all right, all right, I got to wrap this up, guys. He says, nor anything else in creation. Do you get that? Nothing in creation, he says, will ever be able to separate you from the love of God, from the love of Christ. The love of God is Christ, friends. He gave us Christ. So, what is the Apostle Paul trying to tell us through these five scriptures? He told us plainly, there are no exceptions, there are no limitations, there are no exclusions, there are no prorations, there are no deductibles, and there are no expirations on the love of God. That sounds like unfailing love to me. Paul was saying, we can have this confidence that we will never be separated from the Father's love our eternal life insurance policy can never be canceled. Isn't that wonderful? Now, let me ask the question, where did the Apostle Paul borrow such language from on his basis to write about the unfailing love of God? Remember he said up there as it is written? Where would he have gotten that from, huh? Where did Paul borrow that language from on the basis to write about the unfailing love of God? Remember, Paul said, yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, Paul borrowed those words from the sons of Korah who wrote Psalm chapter 44. And I want to read for you verse 22 and then skip up to verse 26. Look at these words. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Isn't that the words that Paul used? That's exactly what Paul used. So Paul reached all the way back into the book of Psalms, which he would have had available. And he says, man, that makes sense. I want to expound upon that under a new covenant. He said, I'm going to start with that and I'm going to tell him how righteous you really are and how loved you really are and how nothing can separate you once you're in Christ. And then he says in verse 26, look at the words there, rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Isn't that interesting? that he would look back there and he would read Psalm 44 and he would take verse 22 and then his eyes would continue to drift down the page and he would see that verse 26. They weren't in verses back then, but he would see that language and he would say, that's what I'm getting at as I'm penning these words. It's an unfailing love. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Friends, the fruit of the unfailing love of God is His grace. 
The Hebrew word behind our English word unfailing is ma'an. It has a little bit of a roll to it. It's ma'an. Sounds like a little sheep. Ma'an. The Hebrew word behind our English word unfailing is ma'an. It translates into to the end. Unfailing means to the end. The Hebrew word for love is chesed. Chesed. Chesed refers to the grace of God. And what does it say about the grace of God? It tells us that it never fails. It is with us until the very end. There are no exceptions, no limitations, no exclusions, no prorations, no deductibles, and no expirations on the loving kindness of God. His loving grace is with us until the very end. So, unfailing love in Hebrew is machan hesed. It means grace to the end. When he says, this is what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my unfailing love. He says, I'm going to give you my grace, chesed, to the very end. Machan chesed, grace to the very end. The Hebrew word for grace is chesed. And chesed is made from three Hebrew letters. Chet, samek, dalet. These are the Hebrew letters that come from the word chesed. Do you see how it's doing it? Chesed. Chesed. These are the three Hebrew letters that build the word chesed. They do not use the vowels like we do. Eliminate the vowels and you'll see those three Hebrew letters. The Hebrew letter chet means life and grace. It has a double meaning. Chet is the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It means life and grace. And we know that on the eighth day, it's a new week. It begins a new week. It's full of life. It's full of grace. Chet refers to life and grace. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say that I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus is the life. Is Jesus the grace man? Absolutely. He said grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Even when we reach back and we take the woman's name, Hannah, Hannah begins with Hannah. That's how it's spelled in the Hebrew. Hannah starts with this het, C-H, het, Hannah. Her name means grace. You know that, don't you? Hannah means grace. Samek, the very next Hebrew letter in chesed. It means to support and lift up the fallen one. <laughs> if you've been paying attention, you'll know where I'm going. Samek means to support and to lift up the one that has fallen. And then dalet. Dalet refers to as the doorway to God's house. That is what a dalet is. It looks like a doorframe. It's the doorway to God's house. So when we look at the individual meaning of each of these three Hebrew letters for love, the Hebrew word hesed, I believe it paints a picture that ought to hang on the walls of every home and on the walls of every human heart, ought to hang on every man, boy, woman, and girl. It literally reads this way. Life and grace 
supports and lifts up the fallen one. He is the doorway to God's house. All of that was hidden in Hesed, which they translated as love in the Old Testament because they didn't understand this grace. But Hesed is the grace of God. And how did he speak about that? He said, it's an unfailing grace. It's an unfailing love. It's faithful to the very end. Friends, the revelation of the unfailing love of God has transforming power. And once a person embraces the truth that there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God, there's nothing that can separate us from his unfailing love, that person will be forever changed. Jesus is the doorway to God's house. He even said in John 10, I am the door. And we are God's house. He's the doorway, but we are God's house. And He lives in God's house. And we come through the door. Jesus is life. Jesus is grace. Jesus is the one who supports and lifts up the branches of the fallen one. Jesus is the Mohan chesed. Jesus is the unfailing, loving grace of God. And there is no expiration date on this love. He is with us until the very end. Friends, we are the fruit of His unfailing love. The wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Transformation begins with a teachable and a courageous heart. We must never grow weary in well-doing simply because we think the journey is too slow of a drift, simply because we think the journey is too long and too hard and too difficult to navigate. There's times that we might feel that way. We never have to win the acceptance or the approval or the unfailing love of our Father through our own performance. We are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is trellised over the heart of the Father. Sour grapes are not our meal, and lukewarm baths are of no comfort. Jesus is the true vine from whom the branches receive their supply, and we find rest in machan chesed, the loving grace of God without end. Friends, Daddy's unfailing love is like a cluster of grapes hanging from our hearts, robust, abundant, plentiful, satisfying. His unfailing love has no exceptions, no limitations, no prorations, no deductibles, no coinsurance limits, no expiration. Our eternal life can never be canceled. We possess His gracious love until the very end. Isn't that what the scriptures say? Therefore, we have this confidence whereby we proclaim who can separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ. Friends, Jesus, the true vine, was cut down and he was hung on a pole. He was crucified so that salvation could come. Without the vine and without the cross, there would be no salvation for humanity. There would be no salvation for mankind. Isaiah said it perfectly when he said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Friends, let's ask the same question that the prophet Isaiah asked. Who 
hath believed our report? I think that's an honest question, don't you? Who hath believed our report? You see, the report of the Lord has been published. Would you like to know how the report reads? Well, it reads like this. It is finished. Salvation has come to them that hear, that are willing to listen, that are willing to receive, that hear. All of our wilted branches have been lifted up and cleansed. You say, Pastor Mark, how can you be so sure of this? Because the scriptures say, for God so loved the world. How did he love it? He loved it with an unfailing love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I can only imagine those final moments of Jesus' life as he hung on the cross, that his heart would be drawn back to his own words, the very words that John penned in his gospel, the words where he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And in the stillness of his last few breaths, he must have thought, Daddy, even as the vine has been lifted up, so also lift my branches. Daddy, help my branches to see that they are my offspring and that they are the fruit of my unfailing love. Daddy, we sang about it this morning. Love poured out, body torn, rusty nails, crown of thorn, awesome love held you on my tree. Swollen face, thirsty Christ, pounding blows and lonely sighs, awesome love held you on my tree. Only you are worthy to be the object of my praise, and with thankful heart, my empty hands I raise. Sin-crushed heart, Broken soul, bloodshot eyes make me whole. Awesome love held you on my tree. Awesome love holds me on my knees. Daddy, that's my declaration today. It's what Jesus has done for us. He is the true vine, and the branches get their nutrients. They get their life. They get their grace. They get all the provision they need from the vine. And so thank you, Father, that when we're flagging, when we're droopy, you come along and you don't lop us off. You lift us up and you re-secure us and you cleanse the way we've been thinking that got us into that place in the first place. You cleanse those mentalities by drawing us back to the question that the Apostle Paul asked when he said, who can separate you from the love of Christ? And then he answered that question and he said, nothing in all of creation shall ever be able to separate you from the unfailing love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.